Welcome, everybody, to the Iron Legacy Podcast. I'm your host, John Garner, here with my co-host, Josh Ellis. Today, we actually could not link up for the podcast, so I apologize if we have any sound issues along the way. Josh is joining us via cell phone. How are you doing today, Josh? I'm doing great, man. I'm feeling really good. Cats are screaming at me right now. Um, But... Other than that, I'm ready to get this party started and go ahead and get on some Q&As. So you said calves all singing cats because in the background, I think you guys might be able to hear my cat meowing. Hopefully that fades away or you can't hear it. But you said calves screaming. I can hear my cat screaming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, definitely the calf muscles, the gastrocnemius and the soleus both uh, did some did some plenty, plenty good calf raises as a finisher uh, the other day and definitely feeling the effects of that. Grow, baby, grow. Okay. So, uh, so oh, leading off go ahead. To, leading off into the questions. That's you. You ready for the questions, right? Yep. I was just going to leave with letting everyone know today we're going to be talking about workout programming, how to build your workout program, and kind of things that pertain to that. But first, of course, we're going to get into our questions. So hang on there, and Josh, go ahead and start us off. Alrighty. So the first question: the difference between simple and complex carbs. And when to use them? So a overall scientific view on the carbs, a complex carb is going to be a polysaccharide versus a monosaccharide being a simple carb. So it's just the amount of saccharides in it. Poly being more than one means it's more complex, takes longer to break down. Simple carbs break down into glucose in your bloodstream a lot faster than a complex carb will which is what you're going to find like oatmeal things like that that are slower digesting are complex carbs versus a fruit or candy things like that that are fast absorbing carbs or fast digesting want to add to that josh um no that's that's actually pretty you know that's right on line you know again the complex it's a long a long chain of sugars you know uh that definitely takes time to digest you know like you had stated um you know the oatmeal sweet taters Grapefruit is actually a slow burner carbohydrate that is a fruit that would actually be really good to sip on uh, in the middle of a workout program. Say if you know you're doing a competition uh, and you're you know you're going through your peak or you're going through your diet, you know instead of taking in your intra your intra workout, you would take in grapefruit juice that's uh, actually you know watered down. You sip on that through your workout just to give you them slow burner carbs so you can finish that complement uh, workout you know safely and with a little bit of energy, at least a lot more than. You would if you didn't have it. Um, and then again, you know, the short chain of sugar, you know, like you said, it breaks down fast and, you know, digests rapidly, you know. So um, now when would you when would you say you would take in your simple carb compared to complex carb? So I would say the general person shouldn't have to worry about that too much. Now, as you get into athletic performance and get a little bit more advanced with everything, it becomes more of an issue or not issue, but something you should pay attention to, especially bodybuilding, powerlifting. Or if you can do a lot of endurance sports, running, um, CrossFit, things like that that are really high intensity. What you're going to be looking for is a short carb or a simple carb pre or post workout so that we get the sugar into your system faster. Post workout to replenish glycogen, pre workout so you have a steady, ready source of fuel to spike and give you that energy for the workout. Aside from that, how I like to set up my carbs personally is I like to go pre-workout about an hour, hour and a half before a bolus of simple carbs. There's like cream of rice is going to be a white rice broken down, ground up, and then you rehydrate with water. It is more of a simple carb than let's say oatmeal is going to be a little faster in your bloodstream and more usable. And then um, 
post-workout, sometimes I'll do um, some sort of bread or I'll do a Pop-Tart or something, just kind of have fun with it a little bit, sometimes some cereal. Other times I'll do some potatoes or something. But um, throughout the day, I try to keep my um, slower carbs in at the end of the day, and that way they're going to burn off a little longer through the night as I cut my carbs a little lower towards the end of the day and add in more fats. So um, also in the morning, if you're going a long time before you're able to eat again, that's another good time for a slow-digesting carb as well i work out first thing in the morning so i get the fast carbs right away but i know a lot of people if you get that big steady breakfast of you know oatmeal you get some eggs in there um some fruit in there and maybe some fat source if you want to have some nut butter with that that's going to give you fuel that's going to last a lot longer and it's going to take longer to digest than if you just ate a yogurt and a banana per se right uh now do you feel in and out, you know, testing over the years and stuff like that. Because, you know, ultimately sugar, it'll rush the bloodstream and it'll, it'll dilate the veins, um, you know, to allow the blood to really flow, especially if you don't take in a lot of sugars on a consistent basis. Um, do you have a preference? Um, like preference if you, for... If you, if, you, if you were to explain it to, you know, the general public outside of people that are actually training... What would you recommend, you know, one or two of each for them to actually, you know, try? So for people to actually try, um, I'm a big fan of oatmeal for people as long as you're not eating it in large quantities. It's when you start eating it in large quantities, I find over a cup of dry oats as a serving. So a serving is half cup. Over a cup at a time seems to be really hard on that digestive system. But I think that using um, slow carbs like sweet potatoes, um, brown rice pastas, if you're going to do pasta dishes, or... Um, oatmeal are some of my favorite go-to. Um, whole grains, any sort of whole grain is going to be a slower digesting carb than, say, a white bread or a white rice or a white potato, which is still a complex carb, but it's more simple than, let's say, a sweet potato. Okay. Cool deal. All right. Uh, I feel like we answered that one fairly well. Uh, next question. Top 10 nutritional tips. I'll let you um, lead the way on that one. Okay, well, I know that we touched base. We touched base on a previous podcast um, to a similar question, um, as far as you know, nutritional advice and stuff like that. But you know, just to just to run down the line real quick, uh, you definitely want to balance your calories, eat better, and definitely exercise. Um, exercise is that added element, you know, that really amplifies the eighty percent of proper nutrition. You know, not I don't want to I don't want to say diet because a diet is, is temporary. We're looking for a lifestyle change here. You know, so the food that you're putting in your body, what what positive outcome are you getting out of it uh, when you make that decision? When you're when you're putting food inside your body, if you have to ask yourself, is this good for me? It's a pretty good chance that it's not. So go ahead and just set that aside. Um, food and food components, you know, to reduce. If you're a salt intaker uh, or you like to add salt to your foods, you know, your general population wants to stay under 2,300 milligrams of sodium. Uh, people that are at risk um, in, the, in the older ages, people that may have heart issues, high blood pressure, uh, usually want to stay right up underneath 1,500 milligrams of salt. Um, keep your saturated fats 10% or less, 300 milligrams of cholesterol or less. Reduce sugar. I highly recommend you know, zero sugar. Uh, even though you're eating an apple, or you're eating a banana, or you're eating some watermelon, 
uh, they they are still sugar. So if you take all three of those together and you put them in a smoothie, you've got let's see, fourteen grams of uh, sugar in a banana. You got eight grams of sugar in a uh, serving of watermelon. You know, so now you're already you know up getting into the thirty grams of natural sugar. So you still want to keep your sugars fairly low, preferably zero, and your solid fats um, such as butter. Uh, you want to eliminate that and kind of substitute oil if you're cooking um, with that. You definitely want to increase the rainbow in the foods that you eat, you know, the, the fruits and veggies. Um, half of the food that you should take in should be, you know, all grain, whole grain. Um, low-fat or fat-free milk products, uh, you know, like if you eat cottage cheese, you know, low-fat or zero-fat, you know, fat-free, same thing with milk. Uh, take in a lot of lean proteins, a lot of seafood. Make sure you're getting a good balance of your omega-3s and omega-6s. Uh, and again, you know, like I stated before, really focus on cooking with oil instead of butter if you do. Um, create a healthy eating pattern. You know, your body is a machine. Uh, it is an adaptive organism. So, it, you know, you have to learn to be ready for the change be ready for the habits because it's the habits that need to be swapped around it's not the food choices or if people drink you know you know people that are addicts in the world today it's not necessarily that they are addicted to the drug itself per se you know i know that there's a quantity of of elements involved in that you know me speaking as a person that has been there uh it is the habit itself you know we have to learn to break habits because we are habits you know creatures of habit you know so focusing on what you really want to do your goals and stuff like that uh find a partner join a group you know like-minded people you want to surround yourself with the type of people that you want to be around um you know the best part is to be starting at the bottom because as, as you fight your way to the top everybody up there is eventually going to, you know, one of those people at the top is going to eventually reach that hand down and pull you right on up uh, and give you the motivation and support and accountability that is there, that is needed. Uh, Plate your food in four sections, fruit, veggies, proteins, grains, and then as far as something to drink outside of water or protein shake, um, you know, again, low-fat, fat-free milk. Um, Proper percentages, you know, the general population, if you're taking in about 40 calories a serving, that's fairly low, 100 calorie, you know, pretty moderate, 400 plus is a little high. Uh, now, as you progress into training and being a competitor, you know, the, the 400, 400 plus a serving is, in some cases, is nothing. That's a snack. Um, you also want to make sure that you're taking in adequate vitamins. You know, if you, if you don't understand what each vitamin, you know, really offers the body, you know, skincare, intestinal, you really would be surprised if you educated yourself on that. Again, we can we can throw that into a podcast, um, understanding vitamins and all that they offer. But keep your fiber high, vitamin A, vitamin C, calcium, and iron. Uh, for all you lifters, you definitely want to uh, take in a little bit more zinc. Um, but outside of that, that's probably about where, where I stop on that. Do you want to add anything else to that, John? I just want to touch base on a couple things you brought up and only because I know some people like to take things as a all or nothing mentality. So like when Josh mentioned the fruit being sugar and minimizing your sugars and keeping them zero if possible, I've heard the argument, which is a ridiculous argument, that if you don't eat sugar, your blood sugar is going to crash, it'll go to zero and you'll die or those different arguments to go around there. And that's a bit of an excessive, but I've heard people say it. And so think about it. So there's the keto diet, really popular. It's a low to no carb diet with moderate protein and high fat. 
Through that, if you check somebody on the keto diet's blood sugar, guess what? They're still going to have a blood sugar level. Your body is going to convert proteins or fats into glucose through a process called glyconeogenesis. It'll convert protein into sugar. So when you don't have any sugar, your body's going to break down other things into sugar. So you will always have blood sugar if you're not prone to issues with blood sugar, like hypothyroidism. No, hypothyroidism. Where did that even come from? Hypoglycemia and hyperglycemia. So hypo means you go low, hyper, high blood sugar. Diabetics will struggle with this, and that's why they have to keep their insulin on hand, as well as a sugar source on hand that's going to get their blood sugar back up if they crash it too low. So I just want to touch base on that because I know some people are like, oh, well, you need to have sugar to survive. I'm like, you, you really don't because your body's going to turn whatever you eat into sugar to some extent. Anyway, it's just easier for it to do if you actually intake carbs versus proteins and fats. And secondly, you would touch base on accountability with partners. And I'm, that's a huge thing, even for not, you know, workout partners, obviously accountability. But if you're looking at the nutrition aspect, you know, who are you going to go to lunch with? The person who tries to get you to eat the brownie and the pizza and all the soda or should you go to the person who's, you know, most likely going to eat pretty healthy with you or at least go out with some people and hang around people who are going to support the fact that you maybe want to get the chicken salad with a little bit of dressing or no dressing instead of the burger and fries. Now, you never want to be the person at a table picking on the person who's trying to be better and eat healthier. There's nothing, and I don't know if Josh has dealt with this, but I know me personally, when you go to lunch or dinner with a group of people and everybody has to comment on the fact that you ordered some food with no butter or no oil or steamed vegetables versus sautéed vegetables or something along those lines, and they have to almost cut you down because you're deciding to do something better for yourself. And so yeah. watch out for that as well. <laughs> yeah, and you know, it's weird you brought that up because when I was doing my bodybuilding competition two years ago, um, not long after I come home from prison, like I didn't eat anything. I didn't eat no breads, I didn't eat no pastas, I didn't eat no rice. Um, I took in a lot of protein source throughout the day. You know, I'd go out to eat with my dad or my stepmom, I'd have to bring my own food in, I would prep it, I'd be up early in the morning. You know, I'd be in the gym before the sun come up. I'd be back as soon as the sun's coming up at my brother's house. And I'm, I got his whole house smelling like salmon and coffee and cooked in the oven. And he comes in and says, man, we're trying to sleep, man. We cooking that crap for it. stinks. I said, it's gains, baby. And, you know, we go out with the family. They go to a pizza place. I'd order a salad with chicken on it. They're like, man, who orders a salad at a pizza place? I was like, this guy does. Look at me. Look at you. You know, I have goals here. I've got things that I need to do and need to achieve, you know. But being that one and only person in that group that is doing what is necessary to create a healthier body, stronger body, healthier, stronger mind, people see that. You know, yeah, they're going to say what they say right then and there to you, even if it seems like you're just speaking. They're going to think about that the whole ride home. They're going to think about it the next day. They're going to think about it as they eat their food. And then they see you again, you know, a couple weeks later or a month later or six months later, and you're still doing the same thing. They can't say nothing then. Never. Yeah, yeah. But again, they still may pick. So do what you know you need to do. And don't worry about what anybody else is saying. Remember, there's going to be, I don't call them haters. I call them fans. Okay. They're the ones that keep you motivated. All right. So the last question, how does your faith play a role in your everyday um, your training, your lifestyle, religion, if any. 
So with me personally, it doesn't take as big as a role as it used to, and that's something I'm not very proud of and trying to actively work back towards. For a few weeks there, I was doing good. I do a Bible study every morning. Um, a buddy of mine, Cody, he invited me we were doing them together, and then I just fell off with buying the house, working on that, the gym, everything going on. I let that go to the wayside, which I shouldn't have, and that's something I'd like to be able to, and I'd like to work towards bringing more to the front of my life because I know that everything else will line up a little bit better. I'll have a better mental space and everything because of that. Those who know me really well know faith has been a big deal for me since I was around 12, 13 years old. I started going to church more often with some friends of mine and I just really let it take me places in life and it's made a huge impact on who I am. Um, as far as everyday life, um, I make or break decisions based upon what it's going to do for me, my family, and how the Lord may look at it from what I've learned of the Lord. And I try to live a life where at the end of the day, he would be proud of me for the decision I made. We all fall short. I know that every single day I sin or make mistakes or do things that he wouldn't be proud of, or I may not be the proudest of myself for, but I work on those things steadily. And it's always, there's not a day that goes by that it doesn't cross my mind. I just need to work on dialing it in and making it more of a driver behind the decisions I actually make in the direction I go with my life. Okay. That's definitely honesty and it could have been could have been worse, could have been better, you know, but again that's us as human, you know. Um we can definitely we can definitely be better and we can definitely be worse. Um me speaking on you know, in regards to this question, um growing up I always believed in God, I always enjoyed going to church, especially with uh one of my buddies, John Copper. Uh, he was like my saving grace. You know, he was my you know, that angel that was that was always there and a uh, really good friend of mine, he's actually locally around here, we'll actually get him on the podcast uh, one day, graduated from UVA, played football there for four years, um, danced in and out of uh, training camps and stuff with the NFL for a little while. He's a believer, uh, graduated uh, with the knowledge and education of you know, the Bible. For me, you know, I'm thankful for something every single morning, uh, post videos online, both Instagram and Facebook. Um you know, the first thing that I'm thankful for is the good Lord, then my baby girl, then my blondie, then my family and my friends. You know, and it took me it took me <laughs> plenty of years to finally say, you know what, it's not it's not my way. You know, I tried my way for thirty some years, you know, and since I've given it to God and I trust, you know, that no matter what happens, it's supposed to happen and, you know, I know that I'm not going to go without. Uh, I know that the good Lord's going to provide for me every single time. Um, I put all my faith in Him. And could I be a better Christian? Could I be a better believer? Yes. I need to read my Bible more. I'm not going to come up with an excuse because there is none. I'm not going to say that I'm too busy because that's a lie. Um, again, we we sell ourselves short, you know, every day. Um, you know, we need to be better people for everyone else around us. Again, I want to leave a good taste in people's mouths. I want people to look at me, see a man that has done years in prison, has done so much wrong in his life, is covered in tattoos, but is one of the most kind-hearted, selfless people that they would ever come across. And the center of that, the top of that, the bottom of that, the front of it, the back of it, the sides of it, is all because of God. You know, I've, if it was not for him, dot, 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 <laughs> and you can fill in the spaces, you can fill in the gaps, you know, but when, when the world, 
is too heavy for us to lift it. Yeah, we train to lift heavy things. We train to pull heavy things. We train to push heavy things. We train to help other people push themselves. But it's God that gives me the power to be able to do that. And when I cannot and am unable to push, pull, carry, walk, run, he is right there every single step of the way. You know, you know, it says in the Bible, he'll never give you more than you can handle. But he's going to give you everything you can handle first. You know, so be be like David Goggins, you know. When you feel like you're dying, when you feel like your body's getting ready to do nothing else, you're only at 40%. You know, so give 100% to yourself and the people that surround you and just be that light. You know, so for me, it is my it is my everything. It's my everyday. You know, when something good happens, I thank God for it. When something bad happens, I thank God for it. You know, if, if, if I'm nervous, if I'm anxious, if I'm worried, if I'm, you know, contemplating, you know, financial situations or going into a competition, and you know, just I give it to God. I'm like, man, you got this. You got my back. I ain't worried about it. You know, and when people ask, man, man, how come you don't, how come you don't waver? How come you're not concerned or worried? I was like, oh, I'm concerned or, oh, I'm worried. You know, the instant flesh thought, but then I give it to God and it's like, what is, is, you know, what's going to happen is going to happen, you know, but for those out there, if y'all ever have any questions about anything, remember, this isn't just fitness related. It is the center of it, you know, because this is, this is what we live to do. And what we love to do is what our passion is. It's where our heart is at, you know, but any questions, any prayers, anything y'all need, please send us a message. Let us know. There's something you touched on there that, uh, reminded me of one thing as far as faith in my everyday life and uh, there's a couple years ago the bible verse galatians 6 10 stuck out to me it was do good to all people and there's a couple different translations of that but it's a long that's basically the gist of it is do good to all people and with that that's something i try to think about on a daily basis because as he said is not want to leave a sour taste in people's mouth about who you are like at the end of the day somebody's going to be offended about something you say somebody's going to be hurt but i want to minimize that and be the best person that i can be and no matter what someone's feelings toward me i still want to treat them well and that's something as a male is difficult especially when egos get involved when you have someone who has a strong ego strong passion a strong personality to remind yourself that hey even though I'm this, I can still be kind. I can still be good. Coming from a background of being bullied, beat down, nobody listens to me, nobody wants to hear me, whatever it is that I've told myself and been told through my life, above that, I can still come out kinder, better because of it. And I can always still be good to people no matter how crappy, how shitty they can be to the people around them. I can still always choose to be good. I control my own emotions, who I am. And that's one thing that really helps keep me humble. Yeah, I've noticed that over the past couple of years, getting to know you and talking to you and being around you, you know, personally speak, you know, you're you're pretty you're pretty genuine fellow. You like to, you know, stay in a positive mindset. You're very you know you're very soft spoken, very kind, you know. But when it's time to go, it's time to go. When it's time to rock and roll, it's time to rock and roll. You know, it's you know fitness related. So you know, kudos to you and yeah, dude. We got brighter and sunny days coming up. So. We gotta stay focused, stay driven, stay on that path, and take that on a literal note. I could use some sunshine. I'm getting sick of the cold and the snow. (laughs) (laughs) Come on, sissy. So as far as our topic today, if you're ready to dive in, we'll go ahead and jump into programming, workout programming, building a workout plan, however you want to word that. 
um, go ahead and get started. Josh, tell us about what you look at when building a program for, let's say, a client or yourself. Like, what are some things you go through if you have a checklist or just a list of thoughts you kind of go through? What do you assess? Okay. I mean, again, there are so many different types of programming out there that is just, when you think of programming, man, that's a pretty broad word. It um, is. You know, but again, when you're when you're basing it on general population, you know, you got to think about the five basic movements. What is it that you know general population will you use in an everyday, you know, um, ADL, you know, active daily living? You know, you're going to do a bend and a lift. You'll probably do some, you know, plenty of single legs going up and down steps. You'll do pushing. You'll do pulling, and you'll do rotating. Um, so within those five basic movements, the program should be based around those. Now, again, you've got functional programming, which is stability, mobility, and movement. Uh, you got your resistance training, which is my go-to for anybody and everybody. Because um, you got to think about it. Back in the older days, back in the olden times when there was no iPhones, there was no computers, you know, there was no running water. Okay, you got to think back to, you know, the statues of the gods and stuff that they have. You know, you got, you know, Zeus, just beard, you know, older looking gentleman, and, you know, around his face. But as soon as you look underneath his beard, you know, he's got a chiseled chest. He's got the abs. He's got the serratus. You know, he's got the obliques. They're popping. I mean, he's just completely defined creature. That's how the body was created to look. Okay, so you hunted for your food, you chased down your food, you dragged your food home, you planted food, you know, you did a lot of physical work. So resistance training would be my go-to um, with everything that it, that it calls for. You know, you got your primary and secondary muscles. Um, there's Again, there's so many different avenues that we can travel, but every bodily movement, it's a result of the muscular system, okay, and it's acting in the skeletal system. Um, muscles produce force if you don't use it you lose it okay so you got your fast twitch you got your slow twitch and they stand for their own reasons and their own purposes you know they have their their definition slow twitch used for aerobic you know glycolysis and then you've got you know your fast twitch low oxidative you know but they're also um very high in their uh glycolytic you know cap you know, they're used for rapid or powerful movements. You know, so you have to be able to program, train both of them, both your fast twitch and your slow twitch. You know, for us as, you know, power lifters and bodybuilders, you know, you need to understand the pr principles of the program before the program. Does that make sense? Yeah, that definitely makes sense. Okay, so... You know, your basic training principles is to build up a solid foundation. So when you go through your five basic movements, your bend and lift, your single leg, you're pushing, you're pulling, you're rotating, you find out where their growth areas are, you know, or, you know, quote unquote, you know, their weak points, you know, and you have to get those a little extra attention. When we train clients, when we put them through fit tests, you know, cardiovascular test, you know, the sit and reach test, so, you know, seeing what their flexibility is like. You know, some of these movements for the general population can hurt them. <laughs> and, they, 
And that's sad to know. Especially as simple as something that people will pull their backs out, grabbing a laundry basket, twisting, rotating to move it. I've heard that one a million times of a client. Oh, I twitched my back. I picked something up and went to move it. I rotated and hurt it because they're not trained in those movements because we don't use anything anymore in day-to-day life. In the moments we do, we don't think about it, and that's when we're going to get hurt. Correct. So the positive the positive impact on doing, you know, especially resistance training or any kind of training, any kind of physical activity whatsoever you're improving your power production. Okay, you're going to be improving your stability, your mobility, your you know your balance and stuff. And as you get older, it is a bit it is a big concern for the older generation to be able to walk safely, up and down the steps safely. You know where there is you know where there are no handrails, there is no family member to help them. They fall. They're fragile. You know, the bones break. So if you can do functional training and do weight-bearing exercises, not only are your tendons, your ligaments, and your muscle tissue going to get stronger to be able to help you with that faster movement or that, you know, better balance, but your bones going to create density. And, you know, as you get older, for women especially, is osteoporosis. You know, so it's, it's, it's very critical. That women themselves, again, men and women both, people of the world need to exercise daily. Now, do they have to be a powerlifter or a bodybuilder? No. Would I like them to be? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, you know, just that sense of competition, that sense of self betterment, that that mental drive that will redefine who you are as a person is an element that you can only get when you are training for something. So um, it's funny that you brought that up. I don't know if you've looked at my website at all, but one of my taglines on there that I use is bringing out the athlete and everyone, um, something on those lines. And it's about, you know, finding the competitive spirit and everyone and bringing the athlete out because I believe there's an athlete in every single person that's waiting to be busted out and where they excel may be different than another person. But everybody has something they're going to be good at and bringing out the competitive streak in people, you'll find flips that switch when training you bring out some sort of competitive nature even if it's beating something in themselves or beating somebody else or making a deadline hitting that competition makes it a lot more enjoyable of a time for you to train them as a client and for them as a client to enjoy the process because they have a goal yep that's the that's the key word right there a goal you know because the body the human body was designed to move and develop in response to the loads that you put it under, you know, and that's individual systems. Okay. If you de- you know, you decrease the activity or posture and muscle imbalance, it'll alter your normal psychological functions. You know, ultimately your central nervous system doesn't have those sensors to fire off on to understand what's really going on. You know, the, it, you know, so, not only in the psychological functions, but within the neuromuscular system, you know, it's ultimately leading, leading to the breakdown of the kinetic chain of the body. You know, if it's, if it's a well-oiled machine, it'll run properly. You know, touch on what the kinetic chain is a bit for everybody, if you want, because I know a lot of people hear kinetic chain, but they don't know how to apply that. So if you want to expand on that, or I can, let's go ahead and do that. Go ahead. You can fire off. You brought it up. So as far as kinetic chain goes, 
what Josh is referring to is how the body is interconnected with itself. So what you have is the kinetic chain. Kinetic energy works kind of like a wave. So everything is connected from your feet to your head. You know, a signal has to be sent from your brain to move your toes. And what that means is down the kinetic chain, in a previous podcast, uh, Josh had mentioned, you know, instability in the wrist causes instability in the elbow, causes injury to the shoulder. Instability causes injury. So training throughout the kinetic chain and strengthening the components of the kinetic chain is a way to symbolize going through your entire body, basically, and how everything's interconnected and how to optimize how it moves as a whole well-oiled machine, as Josh just put. If one gear is out of order, everything else shifts. Josh has some back issues, hip issues he's dealing with now. Something shifted, and now everything else is compromised because of that, and now your body is forced to work around that somehow, which most people are struggling with some sort of bad movement pattern due to one small injury that caused it, and now the whole body's out of alignment because of it, because it's been, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, Not compromising um, to make up for, shoot, totally lost it. Compensating. Compensating. That's the word I'm looking for. Okay, yeah. So your whole body's compensating for one bad movement. Or in a machine, you know, your car, whatever, one thing goes wrong. Now the rest of the vehicle has to overwork to compensate for that issue. Same thing with your body. You have an issue with your ankle, you're going to move differently. Your body's going to respond and adapt differently. If you don't take care of that ankle, now it's going to get stuck adapting to that bad ankle. You go to fix the ankle and you realize you have a whole multitude of other issues to take care of. Truth. Now, basing that, you know, basing off of that, again, when you're doing your training and you're doing everything that is necessary, stretching this part of it, you know, again, if you have weak points, you need to build up a solid foundation of muscle mass, okay? You need genuine tissue, not fat, you know, as far as, you know, heavyweights. Um, now, to really be able to do that, uh, especially, you know, pertaining to bodybuilding, you know, you really want to dedicate and devote, you know, two to five years worth of hard work and effort, you know, to really create a good muscle, you know, built body uh, or a good strong foundation. You know, and again, the stronger the body is, the more it can withstand. You know, but eventually, if something goes wrong, it's something that goes wrong, like way wrong. It's like, wow, where did this even come from? And for me, my lack of mobility um, is what's is what's really hindered a lot of my uh, gains inside my hip, which you know, we're working on the mobility and stuff now, really stretching that out. The IT band is really super tight, um, so that's something that you know mashing and again that's advanced stuff for a lot of the general pop. Um, how bad do you want it? When I talk to a client, when it comes to programming, you know, you can't just throw somebody into a program. Again, you have to go through, you know, two to four weeks to allow the protein synthesis to really activate inside the body uh, and for them to adhere to a program, especially if they haven't done any kind of training whatsoever. Um, then you then you lead into, you know, small, you know, 30, 45-minute workouts outside of them doing their own things. It is really get the body to understand what's happening. You know, when you had mentioned, you know, the brain, the kinetic chain, the brain or the central nervous system is going to send messages out to the peripheral nervous system. You know, when, say, you've done training before you haven't done it in a while. 
the central nervous system sends a message out to the peripheral nervous system. When you get back into it, it's like, man, my body is killing me. You know, but the muscles send a message to the brain. Hey, look, it's killing me. So the brain sends a message right back and says, you've been here before. You understand. And that's where muscle memory is. Okay. Muscle memory lies in the brain. You know, so eventually your body, your central nervous system and your peripheral nervous system is going to get on the same page. And then that is when it's rock and roll. That is when you really do begin to get into a program, tapping into a program. Now, specific programming, of course, we've talked about this plenty of times, you know, split training, you know, doing an upper one day or a push, doing a lower the next day or a pull, you know, and then doing either legs and core or shoulders by themselves. Um, you know, but us as, as you, know, you know, predominantly, you know, bodybuilders, you want to subdivide, you know, to really sculpt and develop the body. Um, what we mean, you know, by subdividing outside of doing multiple exercises, you know, for fuller muscles, hitting them at different angles. Um, you definitely want to take, you know, your back, set it in one category, put your shoulders in a category, your chest in a category, by tries. You know, forearms, quads, glutes, hammies, calves, abs, you know, the whole nine. You want to set those aside and you're like, okay, what do I need to work on? You know, and then that's when you categorize, okay, they've got lordosis. You know, they got the rounding of the shoulders. So we know that, you know, the chest is pulling the shoulders forward. The upper back is really weak. You need to hit the rhomboids and around, you know, the muscles around the scap. Um you know, your infraspinatus, your teres minor, just the entire backs kind of pull those shoulders back to put the alignment underneath the uh, earlobes. Um, but as far as going into the developing of the body programming, John, if you have a client outside of gym pop, if you have a client that's looking to do, looking to compete, powerlifting or bodybuilding, how would you begin? So when I look at a client, and typically I'm shifting towards trying to work with more competitors or more competitive majority of people, um, even if the general population, I'm trying to shift my training focus towards people who are a little more advanced or a little bit more um, down the road and not quite brand new to training. Or if someone's just really motivated, I still love to get somebody who's brand new and just soaks up the knowledge. But as far as when I first look into programming, here one sec. Let me decline that. Sorry, I was getting a phone call. Um, all right, so when I first look at a program, let's say I have somebody who wants to compete. Whether it's bodybuilding or powerlifting, we discuss that goal, whatever the goal may be. So first thing I'm going to talk to with client is, okay, what's your goal? What do you want? How bad do you want it? When do you want it? All of those things. Figure out kind of what I'm working with. Now, if their goal is, hey, I need to lose 60 pounds in 30 days, chances are, yeah, not going to happen. We're going to discuss what you are capable of doing. Here's what we can do in those 30 days. Now, I like to take a long-term approach with clients. I don't like to think, okay, you're going to be with me for two weeks and then done. I want to think about the wholesome longevity of that client and getting them from A to B healthy and sustainably. Now, after I figure out the goal, frequency is what I'll look at. How often can you commit to training? And then I'll see if that aligns with how often I think they should train. So somebody tells me twice a week and they want to do a powerlifting meet and they want to be competitive at it and they want to be an elite powerlifter, chances are, yeah, no, you're going to, you know, we can start maybe minimum of three and work us up, but two is not going to be an option. Or if somebody wants to be a bodybuilder and step on stage, same kind of thing. Two, in my opinion, is not going to be enough. You know, a minimum of three, preferably four is my minimum 
when people start getting a little more competitive. Three is kind of my, okay, you're new to the gym, let's start here. Um, my preferred split to put clients on is a push-pull legs. It's my preferred to do as well. I've gotten good um, results with it. I enjoy it. It's captivating. It's fun for me. Um, I also like a modified bro split. So um, PPL or push-pull legs is you do a push day, a pull day, a leg day. I modify that by doing a shoulder-dominant push day, a chest-dominant push day, a pull day that is um, started with deadlifts, and then a pull day that is started with barbell rows, and then I'll have two different leg days as well, one being quad-dominant, one being hamstring-dominant, and then I'll switch those out between. Now, if someone's specifically needing more of one or the other, I may do two shoulder-dominant days instead of a shoulder-to-chest-dominant if I need to bring up their shoulders. Now, that's going to be individual-based, so if you know you don't have good shoulders but you've got a good chest, then you're going to want to focus more on those shoulders. Or as far as exercise selection within those, where to place the exercises. If you know you're lacking in the triceps, you may start your push day with a tricep exercise and then follow through with everything else. So that way you're getting the majority of energy that you have at the beginning of the workout hammered into those triceps where you know you're lacking. Um, as far as exercises, for a bro split, which is like chest one day, back another day, legs one day, arms one day, you know, abs and arms or something like that. That's going to be probably I'll do about five total exercises per body part uh, for that. For a push-pull legs, I'll do uh, for the entire workout anywhere between five and seven exercises depending on the endurance and recovery aspects of the client. Um, with that, how that looks is so for a shoulder-dominant day, it would be three shoulder exercises, two chest exercises and two tricep um two tricep exercises for a chest dominant day it would be three chest two shoulder two try same with quad dominant day would be primarily quads so like three quad movements primary quad movements two hamstring movements an adductor movement a calf movement or something like that or an abductor movement and then another calf movement on the other day that would be hamstring dominant if I do a four-day split is my second um, go-to, which is upper, lower, upper, lower. So if that's someone that, hey, can only commit four days a week, you know, we're going to do upper, lower, upper, lower. You'll have to take a rest day in between and then two rest days on the end. Works pretty well with people who are just starting off who aren't super advanced. It does limit the amount of volume you can get per muscle group, which eventually is going to have to change most likely. Now, you could argue that you can push that. Um, really far. I haven't seen any pro bodybuilders or people with really exceptional physiques doing an upper lower split. And honestly, a lot of them don't really do a push pull leg split either. Um, there's a few of them who do respond well to it, but they also call the bro split a pro split because a lot of the pros do it and utilize it. And then um, past that, there's something else I want to touch on here. Oh, as far as building, so if someone's more of a beginner, I'm going to focus primarily on big compound movements. What I mean by that a compound movement, you know, your squats, your rows, things that your core is going to have to stabilize to use multiple muscle groups at a time, and then I'll do some isolation. Now, if someone's more advanced, we may focus 60% isolation, 40% compound movement, opposed to doing, you know, 60% compound. The reason for that is you have to learn how to own your own body, your own space. Compound movements allow you to do that. They allow you to push heavy weight. They build density. They make you strong. Then they make you confident in what you're doing. They teach you technique. Now, as you get better, you build a stable amount of muscle, you know, pretty good foundation. Then as you do isolations, you're able to actually use it. Because there's a lot of people told you to flex your lat. How many of you could? Versus, hey, I've been working out for years. I can flex my right lat, my left lat. I can do my right trap, my left trap. I can own that. I own my body. I know how to flex what. Now I can isolate it. You can't isolate it if you don't know how to use it. So if you learn how to use it first, isolation exercises become a lot more effective.
And then, yeah. um, oh, oh, sorry, go ahead. Um, um, I also, you know, I mentioned what needs work. And then as far as novices go, I like to work people who are real new into working out through, you know, squat, bench, overhead press, deadlift, barbell row, those movements, and teach them those officially first and then add to that. And my approach to training as like check-ins with clients and things like that to go on with programming, let's say you put together a push-pull-legs workout, you've got five to seven exercises per day. As far as sets go, I try not to go over two to three sets of failure sets um, per exercise. I'll do maybe a couple working sets, a failure set, and move on. Boom, boom, boom. No more than seven to eight sets per muscle group period in a workout. Now, that is subject to change based on how you advance. It may increase volume. I may take volume back if you can't recover. And then past that is I don't make multiple changes to a program at once, and most people shouldn't. If you have a workout program you're progressing on and you change everything, you don't know what was working, what didn't, or what's now working, what didn't before. If someone's progressing, they hit a plateau, I change one variable, whether it's nutrition, whether it's exercise selection, whether it's um, their recovery, something I change, I change one thing at a time, maybe two, and we see how it plays out because I want to know what works for you, you want to know what works for you, and we want to know what doesn't work. So if you change too many things at once, you can't tell what worked and what didn't work. And then as far as exercise selection, how I pick those exercises out are going to be based on what you need to work on personally. What's the movement that you can feel and actively overload? By actively overload, mean week by week, can you increase load on the bar? Can you increase the amount of reps? Can you increase the time under tension? Is there a way that you can adequately and effectively over a long period of time overload that movement? Because that's how we're going to know you're progressing. And then... Um, safe manner, safety is important, especially if people who work out alone, um, or you have to like learn how to fail without having a spotter and things like that. That comes into play as well. And I'll teach people how to train to failure. It's an art. It takes time. But once they master that, you know, you're pretty advanced by that point. Intensity is key to making progress to make, to be, sorry, intensity is key to making progressive resistance training work. So when you when you you know explain about being able to you know load the bar with more weight, you know be able to hit that rep, that one extra rep for that one extra set each week, day in and day out, in some form or another. Intensity is the key to that. Um, you had stated about having a workout partner, workout partner. They are very important. You know, to have that one person at that gym waiting on you, you know, when you get there, regardless of what the weather is, regardless of what they're going through in their life, regardless of, you know, them being tired or not having enough food or the energy is just not there. They need to have that workout partner or they need to have that trainer such as you or myself, you know, to, to keep them motivated, to keep them, you know, held accountable. Um, but basically it breaks down to them like, how hard do you feel yourself really trying? Like, how bad do you really want it? You know, the intensity of effort, you know, the intensity of effort, the amount of stimulation you deliver to your tissue is the intensity of effect. Okay. The amount of stimulation to your tissue that you can deliver is the intensity of the effect. Okay. How hard you feel yourself trying is going to be the intensity of effort. 
there's a difference between the two. So when you're actually going into those progressive lifts, you know, no matter what the split is, no matter what the program calls for, you need to be able to under understand the difference between the intensities uh, inside the training, the, the mindset that the person has. Um, you had brought up, you know, you, you stick with a lot of the cord lifts, you know, for you know specific clients, and they need that. You know, they need to be able to be able to, uh, to be able to function as a full unit, one full kinetic chain, entire full body movement. You know, but you spoke up a little bit about isolation training. You know, once you're able to engage that tissue, you know, that's where you really begin to bring up a lot of your growth areas and allows you to develop every part of your physique completely. What, what, when do you make that decision, you know, for someone, you know, that doesn't necessarily know or doesn't necessarily understand? You know, once the intent, the stuff is understood either by you or by them before they know, do you actually go into training, isolation training inside the program? So how I'll approach that. And one thing I'll bring up to to specify for some people who may have different backgrounds. Intensity can be viewed as kind of two different things. Um, intensity is force production, the amount of force moved on a bar. So intensity refers to percentage of one rep max or the amount of load on the bar with a one rep max being the most intense thing you can do. However, it's also viewed as mentally how hard you're pushing, your heart rate, things like that in the workout. How intense are you? How hard is it? How difficult was your effort? And that's one thing to look at because sometimes people get confused to hear intensity. You want high intensity. Well, you can't have high intensity and high volume, but you can if the mental intensity. So you just have to look at what you're looking at as far as intensity goes. And to touch on bringing up like the growth areas or weak points in an athlete. So let's say I have someone running a novice linear progression three-day-a-week program, which is squat, bench, deadlift. Next day is squat, overhead press, deadlift. That's a program I like to start a lot of clients on. You work out Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, whatever works for you. Just make sure you have a day in between. And you're able to add five pounds to each lift consistently for weeks and weeks and weeks at a time. Something that's worth time and time again with a lot of clients. I had learned that from a um, coaching company and a couple coaches. And it's something that I find works really well. So how I'll use that if I'm working with a client and strength is the goal, I'll find, okay, on bench, where do they start missing once they start missing? That's how I learn what's weak. And stability, of course, and all that will come in to the beginning and working on those things. But let's say a person has a good foundation and we're working on that program. Their bench starts to stall out. You start to realize they're failing. At the end of the lift, they just can't lock out. Well, then you know, okay, it's lack of tricep engagement. They're not able to bring their triceps. Triceps aren't strong enough to keep up with the movement. So now as an accessory movement at the end of their squat, overhead press, deadlift or squat bench, deadlift, I'm going to throw in a tricep exercise and then um, a lot of people will throw in curls the people like especially men they like to train arms they want big arms so that's something they'll probably end up doing on their own anyway i probably won't throw it in and program it in but if somebody wants to do them i'll allow them to that's not going to impede recovery too much um you'll start to notice people's squats or deadlifts um how they move you'll start to notice what's being the main mover are they falling forward on their toes a little bit as it gets heavy are they using their quads more are they sitting back into their hamstrings as you learn these weak points watching how they move and this is why check-in videos i have a lot of my online well all of my online clients send check-in videos with their form and technique on lifts um 
primarily the compound lifts, some on their isolation exercises so I can learn what's working, what's not working. And the moment I see something start to fail or start to lag is when I may put in a new accessory exercise. So for me, exercise selection isn't just, okay, what can I have to fill up space? My goal is to make you better, and I'm going to pick you apart until I can find what's going to make you better. It may be trial and error, but I'm going to find something. Most people tend to be very um, anterior chain dominant, which means the front of the body, your shoulders, your chest, um, your quads, things like that. We move in a world that's very forward focused. There's not a whole lot of side to side backward orientational movements. Most people have weak hamstrings, weak glutes, um, tight hamstrings, tight lower back because of the ways they move. Everything's crunched forward, everything's stretched and not utilized. So a lot of people are going to start off really having you know, the weaker hamstrings, a weak back. People don't have strong backs. You strengthen those things and everything comes to piece together. Pretty spot on there. So before we uh, wrap this thing up, um, one of the one of the biggest things about a program is you need to understand outside of you know the nutritional aspect of it, uh, live a lifestyle of eighty twenty. You know, if you're not looking for specific con- you know competitive gains. You know, if you're not looking to keep your body fat um, you know too low or too on a precise diet. Uh, 80-20, 80% of what you're supposed to do, 20% of what you enjoy doing, being mindful, of course. Uh, include rest days. You know, you definitely got you definitely got to do rest days. Now, does that mean just sit around and do nothing? No. Does that mean you can sit around and do nothing? Sure. You know, but working on some stretching, some mobility, uh, do yoga, uh, light activity, but pay attention to your priorities. You know, when you are picking those rest days or just a rest day, um, now, your basic exercises, they're definitely fundamental and necessary in all your programs. Uh, so definitely don't steer away from those. Don't be afraid to learn something that you don't know. Don't be afraid to get up underneath of a bar and learn how to squat with it on your back. Don't be afraid to lay on a bench and put a bar over your chest. You know, these are these are very important uh, aspects and elements to being able to have a healthier, stronger life. Um, but also varying your program will help you find what works for you. Again, you have to exhaust, you know, all the options. You need to exhaust certain exercises. You know, one set exercise isn't going to do it. You know, you need to be able to find out exactly what works for you and really focus on weak point areas um, when it comes to a program. You need to find a program that fits you. Not all program, uh, not all programs out there. Whether you create your own, you get one from your friend, uh, is actually going to be the program that's needed for you and your body because everybody's different. To touch uh, on that real quick, um, Josh mentioned a very good point there. So a lot of times people ask you, what's the best exercise to build your quads, your back, your lats, your chest, your triceps, whatever it may be? There is no single best exercise for everybody. Everyone's going to be different. Some people may not even feel a barbell bench press in their pecs, they may have to do a dumbbell press or a machine press. You have to learn what works for you, what you're able to overload and progressively feel. Now, exercise selection is huge for that and playing through different exercises. Try them out. Spend four weeks doing one. You don't like it? Swap it out. Do another one. Find what works best for you. He also touched on rest days, which is something very important in programming, and I do prioritize rest in my clients' programs. I spent years overtraining, training seven days a week, sometimes two times a day, multiple days a week, and I found myself making very slow, if any, progress. I would get mad, plateau, stagnate, and when I started including more rest days, I've really seen my physique take off, my life's been better, I don't feel as angry, I'm not as tired, I enjoy life more. And so with that, like I recommend not going more than three days in a row without exercising and not going more than three days in a row 
exercising. So three is my max. I will not exercise more than three days in a row unless I really have to to get some stuff in. I fell behind on a day and I'll catch up to it. But rest is very important. Those are your growth days. Those are the days you get better. You tear yourself down. You need to build up. If you're not taking rest days, you're not recovering well enough, you're leaving progress on the table that you could be getting. Recovery is key. And that's going to be determine a lot of the amount of volume, the amount of weight, the type of exercises you do is all going to be based off of how well you're recovering. Because if you can't recover well from a heavy set of leg press tail failure and it's you're sore for seven days, you may not be built for that yet. You may need to build yourself up more somehow. So you have to be mindful of how you're recovering. Spot on. Um, so uh, this this podcast went a little bit longer, with, but I feel like it had a lot of uh, information in it to be able to cover you know so much in so little time. Though uh, we definitely need to um, get some Q and A's on this. Uh, if you could just leave us a message through our. Um, our Instagram, John, you want to hit him with your Instagram real quick? It's absolutely. You can catch me at the Ironline underscore official. And anytime, any questions, anything you guys want to know, if it's about this, anything, just please let us know. We're here to help you. Josh, go ahead and hit us with your Instagram. It's at Ellis Joshua M. Let's get this party started. If y'all want to train, y'all want to lift, y'all want to be mad men, mad women, y'all want to flex and get sexy on, hey, look, it is grind time, baby. Let's do it. Can't finish better than that. Thank you for tuning in to the Iron Legacy Podcast. Please make sure to share, like, leave a review, whatever you can to support us, help us grow so we can better serve you. Have a great day.